You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. So our text for this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the people. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, a comedian by the name of Tim Hawkins came out with a beautiful list of a hundred Christian cuss words. Words or phrases that might maybe be more appropriate than the real thing. For example, don't get scared, for example. He would argue that it's okay to say son of a biscuit eater or fiddle faddle or great googly moogly, I love that one. Or in the context of today, talking about things that are holy, maybe it's okay to say holy moly, which is actually the name of our children's curriculum here at Asbury, if you didn't know that. They learn about holy moly every week. Or holy guacamole. Or maybe my favorite, which I don't understand, but I just think it's funny. Holy buckets. (laughs) And did you know that to say something like, holy cow, is actually scriptural. We'll come back to that later. This word holy is something that we tend to throw around as part of our everyday language without giving it a whole lot of thought as to what we're really saying because we also say things like holy trinity. As we sang about this morning, holy, holy, holy. We also say things like Holy Communion, the table that we will come to this morning. We say things like Holy Baptism. And we recognize that these are special moments that we recognize are different from other moments, and sometimes we mix these ideas in not such a good way. 
To give us some more context, the Hebrew word used throughout the Old Testament for holy is either kadosh or kadesh, depending on the context. And if we dig into that a little deeper, it's most often used to mean absolute or set apart or distinct. And it usually, throughout the Old Testament, refers to either a divine place, a divine name or person, or a divine time. So in our scripture for this morning from Exodus, God has heard the cries of his people that were being held as slaves in Egypt, and he chooses Moses to go to Pharaoh and demand to let his people go. Now you might recall when God calls Moses that God appears as a burning bush. And he tells Moses, the very ground that you are standing on is holy ground. And God then sends the plagues to convince Pharaoh to let them go, and he leads them out of captivity, and he destroys the Egyptian army behind them. And we learn from our scripture this morning that three months later, they arrive at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain, and we see, if we read a little further, the imagery of God appearing as a cloud that surrounds that mountain. Only Moses is allowed to go up and meet with God. As the people, about eight, nine hundred thousand of them that are in this camp, that have been set free, remain at the foot of the mountain. And this helps us understand that Sinai, this mountain of God, which later becomes known as Horeb, helps us understand that to be in the presence of God is to be in a holy place on holy ground. There's something different about being in the presence of God. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, God says. You saw how I brought you to myself Now if, if you obey my commands, if you keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession, a priestly kingdom, and a holy nation. And those at the foot of the mountain respond in unison in their tens and hundreds of thousands, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. And in that holy moment, in that holy place, in the presence of of a holy God, they mean it. St. Luke's over in Shreveport, where I was on staff forever, has a beautiful labyrinth behind the back of their church. It's one of the best-kept secrets in town that they have this beautiful place. And the idea was to create a space for people to go and pray and sit, to be in stillness, away from the business of the world, to be in God's presence. They're in that place. For me, in my many years that I spent there, it was the place where I was called to ministry. It was the place where Suzanne and I walked that labyrinth together, realizing that we were going to get married, and we did. They're in that place. It was the place where God confirmed my call to ordain ministry as much as I argued with God. It's a holy place for me. It's a place where I remember what God has done throughout my life. It's a place to be reminded of a holy God. And many of you may have such a holy place that God has set apart for you 
to be reminded of God's goodness, a place where you feel God's presence. And I would hope for many of us that this sanctuary here in this place is a place where we have known of God's presence as well. And this is what Mount Sinai becomes for the Israel nation, a place to remember what God has done for them. The place where God gives them the law by which they are now to live in covenant relationship with this God that has called them out, a place where he will lead them to the promised land. God heard their cries. God rescued them. God set them apart. And yet they rejected him. Because while Moses is on the mountain with God, they build themselves a golden calf, a golden cow, a holy cow. And God is ready to destroy them because they have not fulfilled their part of the covenant. But Moses pleads for them and God in his infinite grace, chooses to spare them. By the time we get to Deuteronomy, they have continued their rebellion and the, an entire generation has been lost in the wilderness where they've wandered for 40 years. And as they prepare to enter this promised land, Moses reminds them, and I'm paraphrasing from the book of Deuteronomy, God goes before you not because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. You have rebelled against God, neither trusting Him nor obeying Him. It was because God loved you. It was because God keeps His promises that you will enter this land. And this might be one of the earliest places in Scripture that we can begin to understand God's grace and God's perfect love. God spared them because they were his treasured possession, set apart, chosen to be holy. One of the problems for us is that when we hear this call to be holy, as Susan mentioned this morning, we're not really comparing apples to apples. Yes, we're made in God's image, and we're certainly an extension of God's holiness, but only God can be perfectly holy. Only God can be perfectly merciful. Only God can offer perfect love. And yet God chooses from among His people those to be used by God for God's glory. Moses, Joshua, King David, name a prophet. People that have been chosen by God and set apart by God to be used for His glory. One of those holy moments for me during my time in seminary was during a class about worship where the professor who was teaching that class reminded us about this process of ordination that I'm currently in the midst of. Yes, it's a process that is determined by human beings to discern that call, to understand what that call is, but ultimately, as he reminded us, it's about receiving holy orders from God. We respond to that call in our lives to lead God's people in words, sacrament, order, and service, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Proof that God really can work with very ordinary people. Maybe God is calling you to do something extraordinary as, 
a part of building his kingdom here on earth. Maybe God is tapping you on the shoulder and setting you apart to do something extraordinary. Because when we think about this idea of holiness, we think too small. We're talking about a holy God, the creator of the universe, a God that spoke all things into being and designed this intricate network of things we can't begin to understand that all work for our good. A God who led his people out of Egypt by his mighty hand. Yet the same God who knows each one of us by name and meets us here in this place. In a couple of weeks, we'll turn our attention to the season of Advent. A season of preparation that leads us towards a holy night. A night set apart when we remember what God did for us, that God came to earth as a human being, the Holy One of God, to dwell among us stubborn people. And God chose to come, not in infinite majesty, but as a holy infant, born to an ordinary teenage girl in a stable filled with animals, revealed to shepherds out in a field, a holy time, yes but a holy time filled with very ordinary people that did extraordinary things. When we think about holy time, we ought to talk about God's command to honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy, he said. Set it apart from the other six days, a command that keeps us in rhythm with creation. As I read this past week, John Wesley's view of the Sabbath is is really funny in its simplicity. Number one, God is the creator of the world and God said so. Number two, God rested on the seventh day and so we should too. And number three, God blessed it and God made it holy. And we should honor that. Israel is called to be a holy nation. They're set apart not because of anything that they had done or could do, but because of God's perfect love for them. God called them at the foot of Mount Sinai on holy ground to respond, to remember what He had done for them, His promises that are always good. To live into their calling as God's holy nation. Spoiler alert for next week. We too are set apart as God's holy nation. Not because of anything that we have done. Not because of anything that we can do. But because of God's perfect love for us. And God calls us at the foot of the cross to respond, to remember, and to live into our calling. Through Christ who has rescued us from captivity and leads us to the place that he has promised that he has gone ahead of us to prepare. We too are to be merciful. We too are to seek justice. We too are to offer grace. We too are to be a people that seek to live in perfect love for one another. 
In the name of God, our Creator, the Holy One, Jesus the Christ, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit that sustains us. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.